Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today is from Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. The promise of the Holy Spirit. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Ascension of Jesus. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. And listen now for the word of God. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. It's often said that the first line of a novel or poem or thesis is the hardest to write. The challenge is to avoid the clumsy start, as Snoopy, the canine muse of Charles Schultz, would illustrate. It was a dark and stormy night. Suddenly, a shot rang out. A door slammed. The maid screamed. Suddenly, The pirate ship appeared on the horizon, and while millions of people were starving, the king lived in luxury. 
And meanwhile, on a small farm in Kansas, a boy was growing up. (laughs) But endings are more difficult, I think. George Orwell ended 1984 rather ominously. He loved Big Brother. And Margaret Mitchell's last lines from To Kill Him, from Gone with the Wind, are at once heartbreaking and hopeful. Tomorrow, I'll think of some way to get him back. After all, tomorrow is another day. And promote perhaps the most evocative ending for Ascension today is the final line of Samuel Beckett's The Unnameable. You must go on. I can't go on. I will go on. For Luke, the Ascension is the last line of the Jesus story. Yet the Gospel of Luke ends not in tears or even with a goodbye. It ends with a blessing. And then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried into heaven. This was the disciples' last look at their friend and their Lord. They saw his raised hands and they heard his voice as he departed, blessing them. Their last memory of Jesus is not that he left them, not that he gave them a blessing and stopped speaking, but he continued to bless them as he departed. And as was true then and is true today, it's understandable for us to be mystified by the ascension. As John Henry Newman observed in a sermon once, this indeed is our state at the present. We have lost Christ and we have found Him. We see Him not, yet we discern Him. We cannot find a marked path leading upward in the sky, but as Newman says, The ascension of Christ is a sure token that heaven is a certain fixed place, not a mere state. In the same way, the ascension means that embodied human matter, embodied humanness, has a place in heaven. However strange it is, a picture of Jesus ascending from earth to heaven, Christ's promise to prepare a place for the people of the kingdom means that our lives are longer than the span of our years. And as the poet Dylan Thomas puts it, we will have a future life in which death shall have no dominion, and we shall have stars at elbow and foot, and the whole universe will reveal its secrets, confess its Lord, and embrace us all with grace. So I wonder... I wonder how often the disciples told and retold this story. We treasure our last memories of people who are dear to us and who are now gone from this life. Now this scene from Luke is not quite the same as when one of our loved ones dies. Here the living risen Christ leaves the disciples and ascends to heaven. And as they retold this story, I imagine them reminding each other often and retelling this story again and again. While Christ was ascending, He was blessing us. In Hebrew, a blessing prayer is a bracha, and a barakoth is a form of the word for blessing, the plural form, entirely necessary because an observant Jew says at least 100 blessing prayers each day. 
prayers for waking up in the morning, prayers for setting out on a journey, prayers for seeing sunrise and sunset, and even prayers for wearing a new set of clothes. There are prayers for fruits and vegetables. There are prayers for pastries and for wine. Yet as many barakoth as there are, they all began in the same way. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. On receiving good news, an observant Jew says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, you who are good and beneficent. And on receiving bad news, the barakah is the same. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, judge of truth. So what is a blessing? And what does the act of blessing do? The Old Testament scholar Klaus Westermann reminds us that God deals with human people in two ways. By delivering them, by delivering us from what is bad and blessing what is good in our lives. The Lord brought us up out of Egypt with His great power and strength and using great terrors and signs and miracles. Then He brought us to this place and gave us this fertile land. In the Old Testament, blessing included both the spiritual and material aspects of life. Another observer reminds us that blessing is life. It is earth and fertility for all people, for their cattle, for their fields. Blessing is the basic power of life itself. In the biblical sense of the word, when you give your blessing, you convey from your life to another human life, not just something of the generative life that you have inside, but something also of the life-giving power and holiness of God in whose name the blessing is given. God bless you, we say. It is the transfer of the summary in you of all that is good and holy and perfect and true to another human being. My Scottish forebears were not encumbered by the modern mind that drives a suspicious wedge between what is sacred and spiritual and what is sacred and secular and rational. And so they had a blessing for just about everything in creation, from getting dressed in the morning to milking the cow, to tending the fire in the hearth, to doing business at the butcher's shop. Home and life and birth and illness and death and travel, everything got blessed in this Celtic world. In a wedding ceremony, I asked the families of the two, bride and groom, partner and partner, to share their blessing with the newly joined couple, to offer their affection and tenderness and support, their hopes for a good and prosperous future, their dreams for a family whole and healthy and true. Do you give your blessings to these two as they marry today? And do you promise to do everything in your power to uphold them in their marriage? In that moment, enormous spiritual and emotional capital transfers from one family to another, transforming ordinary time to holy possibility, making a relationship into a reflection of the deep love of a living, breathing God. Ministers bless people and 
houses and weddings and commitment services and dinners at the Chamber of Commerce as well as high school rallies for peace and graduation parties. We bless what's common and ordinary as well as what's unique and extraordinary. Perhaps this is what makes so many people uncomfortable about praying in public. To offer a blessing on something is to see it from God's perspective. To pronounce a blessing is to participate in God's own initiative, to share the love of God with the whole world, the whole world. To speak a blessing is to share openly God's audacious grace, mercy, and peace. Though Luke treats the ascension as the end of the gospel, a second telling begins the book of Acts. Think of it as a bridge to the future. Even the timeline is different here. In Luke, the ascension takes place on Easter afternoon. In Acts, ascension takes place 40 days after Easter and resurrection. Taken together, Luke is telling us that Jesus' departure is both ending and beginning, a blessing and a charge. It is an ending be sure. I think of Salvador Dali's unadorned portrayal of the ascension, in which all you really see of Jesus is his feet, the bottom of his feet, as they rocket toward heaven. It's taken from the perspective of the disciples, from our perspective, looking up. Those feet that walk the dirty, rocky roads of Palestine will not tread foot on the earth again. Those feet once tenderly anointed before the brutal crucifixion will propel him no more to places of miracles and healings. This is goodbye. And yet, turn to Acts in the same scene, but with different timing. And there is the beginning of another story. The story of the church animated by the Spirit. And here the emphasis on what we do now, today. In Acts, when the disciples ask about the timing of future events, Jesus reminds them, it's not for you to know. The implication is that the business of the church then and the church today is about now, about today. It's not about when the world might end, but is about how the community begins to look like the kingdom of God. It is really to fill the whole world with justice, peace, and mercy in the presence of this God of grace. After Jesus is taken up into a cloud and the onlookers are left staring at those feet, two men in white robes appear and ask, People of Galilee, why do you stand looking toward heaven? The implication is, get busy. Why don't you get about doing something in this world? And so the story of the church begins here in this moment. So the ending is also a beginning. The ascension of Jesus like Pentecost is the birthing of a very worldly church which is called not to simply stand there looking up but to get about the work that Jesus began. It's really interesting that countless artists who have depicted this story in paintings and woodcuts and 
even in stained glass, have left little traces of this in their work. Little clues. They've left footprints, literally, in their artwork. Some artists have painted little dents in the rocks. Some have etched marks in the dirt not far from where the disciples stand there with their mouths wide open. Maybe the artists imagine details beyond the text, but in these details, they press us with the question, why do you stand there looking toward heaven? What will you do now? Follow these footprints. For throughout Luke's Gospel, Jesus' footprints are to be found everywhere in the pages of Luke's story. The Holy Spirit's not left us to our blank imaginations, but gives us shape in Jesus' story, in His life, and in His ministry. Jesus' first sermon in Luke predicted the ministry of the Spirit and gave us our charge for today. To bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom to people who are oppressed. And here in this stained glass panel, the one that's in our sanctuary and the one that adorns your bulletin cover, Jesus rises toward heaven powered by the Holy Spirit. Not only after He has walked all over our city and county and state, leaving His footprints behind. Walk north on this sidewalk outside this sanctuary. Walk north about one mile and on the right just before the railroad tracks you'll find the Delanus Center, where on every Wednesday afternoon and evening, volunteers from this church prepare and cook and serve a meal for over a hundred hungry guests. Take Washtenaw Avenue east toward Ypsilanti, and following the footprints of Jesus out the door and toward heaven, wind your way toward Nancy Park and to a whole community of reclaimed and renovated houses restored by the hands and sweaty labors of First Pres volunteers and Habitat for Humanity. And just outside the walls of this sanctuary, Jesus' footprints take campus ministry leaders across the Diag to share good news and First Pres hospitality with university students and faculty and staff. Follow Jesus' footprints west out of town, out Jackson Road, and you'll find they lead you there to Alpha House, where the good news of Christ and the warm compassion of volunteers binds up the wounds of broken families. In fact, Jesus' footprints lead out from First Press to more than 20 local sites for ministry, as well as to Israel and Russia and Nicaragua, to Niger and to Haiti and the Philippines. And were he to lead a trip starting today, he would probably take us to Nepal. In a striking commentary on the ascension, John Calvin says, since Christ entered heaven in our flesh, we in a sense already sit with God in the heavenly places. According to Calvin, we have been pulled sometimes with sparks flying deep into the very heart of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been flung out also into the world, to the community. We were charged to pick up spoons and shovels and hammers and iPads to be witnesses to the love and grace of this life-giving God. If you haven't done much lately, 
then today is just as good a time and place to start. Today, follow Jesus' footprints around the sanctuary and out the door, down the sidewalk and around to the Rehoboth Interfaith Garden, tucked just behind the children's play area. And there, with your hands and feet, help plant a garden with our brothers and sisters from Hillel. It starts at 2. You can get home and back again just in time. Bring your trowel and bring your gloves and get your hands dirty and feed the world. It is the way of Jesus the Christ who is risen and gives us hope. Amen and amen. As God's people gather together this morning, let us pray. Blessed are you, O King of the universe. You, O God, who created the world, who separated the light from darkness, who separated the sky from the sea, who got your hands dirty by playing in the mud and molding human form. You who called the creation that you had made very good. Blessed are you, O King of the universe, you who continue to bless your creation and to extend your blessing and sacredness to all people. Bless this, your beloved world, as it sways with joy and as it shakes with heartache and sorrow. As we gather here, we remember that we are part of one human family, that we are part of one creation. And so we pray for your world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Nepal who continue to look for loved ones who are lost and who continue to feel the devastating effects of the earthquakes there. We ask that you have mercy upon us, O Lord. Blessed are you, O King of the universe, and we pray that you send your blessing upon the people in California who are experiencing drought. Send rain to water the land that is dry so that new creation can burst forth. We ask your mercy and your blessing, O Lord. Blessed are you, O King of the universe. We ask that you be with those who are held in prison this day. We ask that you bless and be with those who are experiencing persecution or political exile. Be with these people, bless them, and have mercy upon them, O Lord. O blessed King of the universe, we pray for those of us who are experiencing endings and hard goodbyes. We pray that you be with those who are sick or sad or alone. We pray for those who are experiencing new beginnings this day, new joys and new life-giving relationships. Help us to see all people as you see us, as beloved members of your human family, created in your image. Help us accept your invitation to look out and see and be part of your kingdom, which is both here and not yet. And as we wait for your kingdom to come and for you to reign fully, let us wait with anticipation and with hope, praying the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.